0: An element is important I notice is new generation don't believe in position authority. They believe in knowledge authority, and they don't like at all controlling people that control them. They want leaders that build on their ideas, the incremental thinking.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Leader Insights series, the platform designed to uncover the secrets to career and business success and gain real insight from inspirational figures across the food and drink industry. I'm your host, Jonathan O'Hagan, and my guest for this episode is Giovanni Giacetti, the managing director for snack food manufacturer Eat Natural, who are now owned by Ferrero. I was delighted when Giovanni agreed to come on to the show. Having gotten to know him over the past couple of years, he's always been really engaging to talk with, not least when we talk about our love for all things Italy. As you're about to hear, he's an experienced and very charismatic business leader with some very clear and people-focused principles to leadership. In his own words, he describes his style as a blend of economics and psychology. This has allowed him to understand how people think and leads with what he calls knowledge authority, always behaving with authenticity and respect. Now, although he's worked for some of the biggest, largest blue chips in the world, You get the sense with Giovanni at the heart of it, it's all about how to best engage people. He truly embraces different cultures and uses diversity as an opportunity to create high performing teams. As he says, he believes in collective purpose. It's about the team and not individual superstars. I think what's also really interesting about this discussion is that Giovanni doesn't see food as a commodity. It's an integral and often plays an emotional part in our lives. His passion for the industry is clear and believes that good food and nutrition is arguably more important than medicine. Finally, we also get his thoughts on M&A, the do's, the don'ts and the potential pitfalls and his advice around successful post-acquisition integration. So stay tuned, enjoy, and as always, drop me a note if you find this episode helpful. Please check out my new mentoring charity, The Mentors Club. More info on that coming up in this episode. Giovanni, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. No, no, absolutely my pleasure. So you've had a fascinating career, Giovanni. You've worked all over the world. You've had a couple of years with Mondelez uh, before joining Ferrero. And then you spent 10 years out of the sector with HP, Hewlett-Packard, before rejoining the sector with Coca-Cola, who you stayed with for nine years before coming back to Ferrero. So uh, as someone who spent a decade away from the sector, why FMCG? What attracted you back?
0: I worked in uh, California high tech. I worked for Hewlett-Packard which was very formative because the way the mindset of high tech is uh, extremely positive. If a market doesn't exist, we just create it. Not really. If the consumer don't understand, we create a need or we create a a technology. And these were really formative years in terms of mindset. But it, it came to a point where I'm not an engineer, just keeping up with the technology, almost intellectually was extremely difficult. Every two years was a paradigm shift, every two years a an revolution. Yeah. And I really wanted to have a kind of more association to the products and the consumers. And in food and beverage, you go to a store, you taste the products, there is an emotional side. Mm. And I like an emotional connection to brands. And also wanted to have more control of my life in a sense of setting my career and my direction, deciding where I want to live. I wanted to live in London. And this is the reason I left high tech. I miss I miss the intellectual challenges, but I don't miss the lack of intimacy with the products that we have in food and beverage, for example.
1: Yeah, quite a few people, Giovanni, have, have made a similar comment around the emotional tie often with food. It's the common denominator with all of us, isn't it really? <laughs> yes. Fascinating what you say about high tech, though. Uh, previous guests, we were just talking about this very same thing around is there stuff we can learn as an industry from these other sectors that seemingly are growing at such a rapid pace and and importantly, attracting some really talented people into those sectors. So were you able to bring the learnings back into FMCG from your time away in another industry?
0: Yeah. In the last 10 years, food and beverage start becoming food tech. If you look at big companies like Nestle, but even Ferrero. Now there is approach to food innovation, which is natural, but pushed by science. I mean there are companies that, with artificial intelligence, they map all the different natural seeds in the world, and they create new molecules for food. They are natural, but basically invented by artificial intelligence algorithms. There, there are examples like beyond meat. There are examples like uh, uh, mayonnaise, we know eggs for people that have cholesterol. There are a huge number of food tech companies now. They are revolutionising the industry. It is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned
1: one there, Beyond Meat, who are getting a lot of the headlines at the moment because of their relationship with the likes of McDonald's and and a few others. But it's amazing, isn't it? And yeah, they're they're almost tech first businesses, aren't they? And food second. And uh, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot more innovation, NPD. Product development people actually on the board of companies, which is really interesting. So it is, to your point, innovation first, isn't it? Leading the market, almost not even anticipating what consumers want, but almost setting the agenda of
0: of what we think they may want in the future. Yeah, because nutrition is fundamental for health and wellness of people. And it's really transformed. It's probably even more important than medicine in a way. Because it prevents uh, diseases and it changes your lifestyle, and actually, it's so important. So, it's the food and beverage industry now is is equally exciting than high tech, traditional sort of high tech in terms of innovation.
1: Yeah, well, I can feel, I can, I can already imagine. I'm going to invite you back, Giovanni. We could, we could do a whole episode on that
0: <laughs> topic. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a topic uh, I really love because it's bridging my interest with technology with uh, the emotional connection with food and nature. Brilliant.
1: And just coming back to your career, Giovanni, I don't know how much you've reflected, but are there particular traits and attributes that have helped you get to where you are in your career?
0: I have have an education which is an intersection between economics and psychology. I I decided not to do an MBA because I had an interest in in the human mind and people. So the common theme in my career is uh, I love culture, different culture, I love diversity. And I'm really intrigued how people think. And so I enjoyed this very international career because I was looking for cultural experiences at the end and always find a job in any in any country I lived in. I lived in Japan, in US, in Germany, in Luxembourg, in France for nine months. And uh, the combination of being immersed in another culture, not as a tourist, but living there, and having a, a meaningful job from a professional perspective, I find it very rewarding and exciting and fun. Do you
1: think that's helped you, Giovanni, certainly working for some of the larger blue chip businesses you've been part of, like Coke, like Ferrero, has that been helpful that like you've been part of different cultures and worked in
0: different parts of the world? Yeah, because i always work for global companies. This, this job now in Itnature is a local company with an international ambition. So again, we will, it, will, it will be a global kind of challenge. And I do very well uh, connecting cultures and finding uh, alignment with with different organisations and different cultures. So I do extremely well with multilateral negotiation with different people from different countries.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I can can imagine, Giovanni, having known you for a little while, I could imagine your charisma and and charm would go a long way (laughs) dealing with anyone in the world, really. So I always ask this question, pivotal moments, Giovanni, any kind of standout pivotal moments for you in your career that, you know, of kind of situations that could have gone either way? Anything that stands out for you?
0: Um, I'll mention a couple of ones. one positive and one difficult, but uh, very, very important from a learning perspective. The one positive is being kind of young and working with a small team of people. We did develop uh, an application which is basically you find in any printer, any copiers now, which is basically you scan a document, you create a PDF. So I work on that project, which now is in any printer, any copier in the world, and we were first to market. We had uh, our little article in the Wall Street Journal. And I was a young professional it was extremely rewarding to work with a small team and doing something. That you walk around, you see, okay, I've, I've worked on that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And it's use, it is useful. Very exciting. Another important moment in my career was uh, I was in US in 9-11, during 9-11, and it was a total collapse of the high-tech industry. And we merged between HP and Compa. So I did participate in... Uh, extremely aggressive consolidation of companies yeah. and rationalization with very emotional, extremely difficult moments, which is kind of, it's part of the cycle. So companies, sometimes you have to be really assertive in a way you're transforming an organization. And I think we shouldn't shy away from these moments because it's necessary for the survivor of the organization anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And it was stressful. And I had a bit of sort of, let's say, ethical dilemmas but then I realised that, for example, the American culture is such that if people lose a job, three months, they go surfing in Sydney, they come back and then they find another job and they're happy. <laughs>
1: just... Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Good point. And what's your motivation then, Giovanni? What's your why?
0: My main motivation for work is uh, impact, creating something new, working with high-performing team on something extremely difficult. I am useless alone. So if you give me a challenge, like, okay, climb Everest alone, no way. But if you, I'm not sure I can climb Everest at my age, but if you tell me, okay, why don't you climb McKinley in Alaska with some friends, I say, oh, yeah, let's go. Because just the idea of planning it together, having a challenge that is difficult, and then overcoming it and winning the challenge together with other people, I find it very rewarding. Yeah.
1: And the best piece of career advice you've ever been given? Giovanni
0: the best piece of career advice was focus on your strengths because it's very difficult to to work on your vulnerabilities you should work on your vulnerabilities but should expect it it takes decades sometimes to change so if you kind of sometimes really focus more on your strengths and your uh, development opportunities it's more
1: effective. It's interesting, isn't it? Because often you hear about, you no, know, develop your weaknesses, develop your weaknesses. But uh, again, a previous podcast guest made the comment around identify and understand your strengths and and really make the most of those strengths. Because businesses will need all different types of people, won't they? And actually, if you can kind of shape yourself into you know something really unique and develop those strengths further, yeah, you, know, you don't need to be all things to all people, do you? As the saying goes. Yeah,
0: also You can choose leaders in your team that compensate to your shortcomings. Yeah. Like, I'm very creative, but I don't like extremely analytical analysis. But they are important. They're equally important. So I'm like 80-20. So I need to work with some people that are 100% analytical sometimes and less creative.
1: Good. Now, Giovanni, you've worked all over the world for some major organizations, so I I couldn't pass up the opportunity to ask you about leadership and get your thoughts on good leadership. So from your perspective, talk us through, you know, what does good and effective leadership look
0: like? In leadership, there is a long tradition of, let's call it strategic communication, communicating to people to engage them and excitement, excited and change in the organization. But it became a really little too much now that everybody is, every leader comes from an angle, sort of seducing in the organization, convincing them, and from a strategic perspective, and there was a, uh, quite a lot of lack of authenticity shying away from sharing with the reality as it is, sharing your doubts. And, and I think if you can balance strategic intentions with uh, being yourself and authentic and transparent, transparent, I think people, you become much more credible. That's what I noticed. If suddenly they, they trust you more and they also like you more which is not the intention that people should like you all the time, but it's, it's a question of kind of having credibility because you're more authentic. basically.
1: Yeah. Well, it's that combination, isn't it, of logic and emotion. And trust is a word that comes up all the time these days, Giovanni, isn't it? But it's, um, I think it comes up so often because it's so fundamental these days, isn't it? To take people on that journey with you and, and get people on the bus. It's so, so important. And, You make a really good point. I think being authentic, I suppose, vulnerability, you know, being transparent enables you to build those strong relationships and then people hopefully will buy into, like you say, your strategic intentions. For you, if I asked about leadership principles, are there sort of two or three leadership principles you tend to lead by then, Giovanni?
0: The first principle is performance. I believe in performance. I don't think performance should be traded off with supporting each other and uh, kind of helping each other. Because I, I believe in performance as a, as a team, not an individual performance. Sometimes having too many, too gifted employees is quite a problem because they're highly individualistic, some of them, and generalizing. So it's the balance between skills, talents, and uh, working for the collective purpose ins- instead of working only for yourself and for your objectives. And if you find this balance between teamwork and performance, I think you can achieve objectives that nobody individually could. So I'm American educated, so I believe in performance, but I also believe in teamwork 100% and how you balance the two.
1: It's a really interesting point you make there, givan because I suppose there's lots of analogies we could draw there, but from a sporting perspective, it's yeah, it's that football team of absolute superstars that for some reason aren't quite performing as a team. And I've always believed this in my main line of work, you know, bringing talent into an organization that actually, if you can start to blend people's blind spots and, and strengths together, and, and not necessarily always recruit the 10 out of 10 superstar, someone who's maybe a seven or eight out of 10, because they'll come in with the energy, the desire, the, you know, the the ability to kind of give 110%. You get a group of those people together, um, it can be a really powerful combination,
0: can't it? Yeah, I think so. Like for example, also, I have a son, teenager, and he's playing with the Chelsea Academy. Mm, you've mentioned before, yeah. I was watching him playing uh, last weekend, and I noticed he can play very well individualistic, but he's very unselfish. He passes the ball well, and he's thinking about the strategy of the, of, of the game. So I think it's this ability to be at the service of others, and at the same time, using your individual skills to, to, to perform which is makes teams achieving the next level let's put it this way Brilliant
1: Well if he's available to
0: sign for Newcastle Giovanni anytime soon <laughs> just <laughs> let me know <laughs> He wants to play for Manchester United that's kind of his dream obviously. <laughs> Oh does he? Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry. But, but maybe we shouldn't
1: release that if he's playing for Chelsea Academy but i uh, um... sorry <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah. And on these principles Giovanni I don't know if I cut you short there but are there are Are there other things alongside performance and teamwork that you kind of keep forefront of your mind when we
0: think about leadership principles that you you lead by? Um, Picking on the principle I believe in is telling the truth in a respectful way. There's always tough situation in organization when you have to be very direct and then you have to find this skill of saying the way it is in in a respectful way. Even when it's difficult, because if you don't, if you don't know clear, then it's much worse kind of later. And I've been, I've been in these sort of situations with performance management of employees, uh, restructuring, uh, negotiation with unions, where you, you're just being extremely direct and extremely
1: respectful. Well, I know we'll talk about it shortly in terms of integration, which I know you've got a huge amount of experience in. But I think, yeah, the word respect you use there, people for the most part, even if it's a tough bit of news they're receiving, if it's delivered in an honest, authentic way, people respect it, don't they? Generally speaking, it's hard to to not accept if it's delivered in in the right way, in an honest way. One one thing I'd be keen to pick your brains on, Giovanni, there's a lot of talk now about, you know, what does the future leader look like? What are the skill sets and attributes of a leader in the next five, ten years or so? Because things have changed over the last five or ten years. So with that in mind, for you, Yeah, what does a future leader look like in terms of their attributes and skills, would you say?
0: So if you're working with the new generation, Generation Z and so on, I think uh, leadership traits are fundamentally different. Otherwise, they don't really follow you because they are really looking at having a job that actually overlaps completely with their values and their personalities. And it's not easy because the entire paradigm of leadership kind of changes completely. They're looking for consistency, so they want a leader that is, has value at work and after work. They don't want a leader that talks about the environment and then he goes to Africa hunting lions. I mean, I'm exagger- exaggerating that there is a divide between private life and your know, professional life from a value system perspective. I think these people in their late 20s they are really looking for integrity at a higher level. Diversity is extremely, extremely important on every dimension. And so if you don't create a diverse, inclusive environment, you don't perform. And also continuously giving them opportunity to learn and then grow. They see work as a, as a platform for personal development, less about money and career, more about uh, lifestyle uh, and the balance and learning more than anything else. I think that's a really good point. I think they're all really good points,
1: actually, Giovanni. So values led and aligned. I, I hear that increasingly at the moment, you know, individuals looking to work for businesses and, and people where their values, personal values, align with, you know, what the company stands for and the company values. And I yeah, it comes back to that point as well around an authentic approach, you know, a leader being the same person in work as they are outside of work you know we've had too many sort of horror stories over the last few years haven't we of, of people getting caught out and people being sort of discovered for not necessarily living what they're presenting and i think that's so important now it's, it's too easy to get find out so yeah i think again it comes back to being authentic
0: doesn't it really and he, another element is important i notice is new generation don't believe in position authority mm. they believe in knowledge authority and they don't like at all controlling people that control them. They want leaders that build on their ideas, the incremental thinking. Knowledge just monitoring what other people are doing or controlling them, actually giving the opportunity to be more creative and adding on, on their ideas with their own knowledge. If you just have authority and position, that's not enough nowadays. Yes. They don't have a sense of authority as we, maybe my generation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Giovanni, yeah, really good point. Indeed, it's uh, knowledge authority, Giovanni, is that the term we're coining there?
0: They only follow you if you know, if you don't know, they don't follow you, even if you are a
1: CEO, basically. I think that's some really good core points there, so fantastic. Now, before I go to my next question, I'm very excited to announce a brand new charitable initiative I've launched for 2022. It's called the Mentors Club. The purpose of the Mentors Club is to raise money for charity whilst facilitating the introduction to inspirational industry leaders for quick advice and mentorship. Think executive coaching meets speed dating. It's a 100% for charity initiative with three wonderful beneficiaries, including Magic Breakfast, Macmillan, and the RMHC. We have a panel of 10 superb mentors you can get access to, including Andrew Selly, the CEO of Bid Food, Sue Garfitt, the CEO of Alpro, Julia Darville, the UKMD of Puratos, plus many more. Think of it this way. If you're working through a challenge at work or you're at a crossroads in your career and you'd be keen to get inspirational advice from industry-proven leaders, then this is for you. Likewise, perhaps you're already operating at C-suite level and you're looking for a great networking opportunity to connect with other like-minded leaders, then this is for you. To find out more, support the initiative and check out our amazing panel of mentors and simply go to LeaderExecutive.com forward slash The Mentors Club. That's LeaderExecutive.com forward slash The Mentors Club. Thank you for your support. Giovanni, moving the conversation on, I I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to to talk to you about this topic. You've been M&A director for Hewlett-Packard, as we mentioned. You've been M&A and senior strategy director for Coke and then also head of M&A for Ferrero. So with all that in mind, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to chat to you a little about M&A and integration. Um, So from your perspective, what does good M&A typically look like? Only
0: work in m a in large companies, which is important large companies, even if they are extremely innovative, they come to a point when they need to they need m a to continue growing and remain irrelevant with with consumers. Any company including apple there are some companies like apple and a few others that are less acquisitive, but in general even microsoft amazon and even high tech companies continue to doing acquisition and you acquire companies mainly for your capabilities or for for a brand, to move in a market that is growing faster or more profitable, basically. And this continuous transformation of your product portfolio, your markets, the markets you play with, is extremely important for a very large corporation to be able to remain agile. It's the only way to remain agile, because people tend to be entrenched in in the way they work, and unless you buy another company, sometimes there's no way you access a new market. M&A should always be at the service of strategy. Yeah, yeah. So a good M&A professional is at the service of the chief strategy officer. It's not a replacement for the chief. It's a means to an end, it's not not a meaning in itself. It's very important that strategy and M&A are completely aligned and and that M&A reports to the strategy function.
1: And I was going to ask, where do people and organizations get it wrong typically from what you see, Giovanni? Is that one of the
0: elements that goes wrong? What is difficult is balancing preserving versus changing. Because you t- typically they acquire as a larger company or more successful, and they come with an arrogance that they know best just because they are big and have been successful in the past. Your success in the past is not a predictor of your success in the future, actually, it's some, in some cases yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> So when you don't approach, uh, approach an acquisition with humility then, and the organization you bought, they know better than you in this market, you tend to uh, do a lot of damages. People leave, uh, then you don't perform, uh, you miss your product launches. So I focus always on preserving first, because changing will come, because uh, a small organization, part of a larger one, will be fundamentally impacted, just because they are now part of a larger ecosystem. So I only focus on preserving because changing is coming naturally. And and, and this is the only way really to maintain this balance.
1: And we've spoken previously, haven't we Giovanni, that often the the post-acquisition integration can be really challenging. And of course it depends on size and scale and how aligned those two separate businesses were prior to the acquisition. But talk to us a bit about that integration journey, Giovanni, and, and some of the things you're focused on, think about with making that integration as seamless as possible? Because you've been involved in a few, haven't you? Yeah. The
0: first, the first thing is sort of uh, allowing cultural diversity. I don't believe in cultural integration. I believe in allowing diversity of culture. When I come in a new company, a new organisation, from a cultural perspective, I fit in. Instead of changing them, I change myself. Like if they have a certain way of dressing, which is fine for me, okay, I will dress kind of a similar way. Then you work can change from a from a strategic perspective. So you respect the diversity of culture, but you have one way of working and one kind of you work on processes and you work on uh, on a strategy, and you allow for people to be the way they are and uh, the. Their culture, the way they dress, completely, completely in, some, in some cases, divergent with your organization. Because it's streaming, stream, especially with uh, small companies, they are more like mm, f- mm. free, casual, and they, are, they like a certain way of, uh, of feeling in, in the work environment. For example, in Eat Nature, we have a kitchen, we have a cafeteria for the blue collars, for the production people but we don't have a cafeteria for the white collar, So people would take turns to cook. And I said, okay, I will cook myself. So I came a few times to the office I made an Italian meal for my colleague and I fit in with the culture. I didn't want to change it to say, well, we don't cook anymore because we're an organization. And it doesn't take much effort really. It creates this sort of connection and trust that is extremely important.
1: Yeah, I can see how that would be important because often in those early days of an integration People often don't know what's going on. They don't know what the future holds. They're uncertain about the future. There's a lot of just general uncertainty isn't there at that moment in time. So if you can find ways to build trust, to keep people engaged through that period of inevitable change, like you say, um, it, it, I can see how that could be really helpful,
0: yeah. Yeah, we communicate a lot. We have town halls every three months. It's a, I'm now working for a small company. We have about 300 people and about 70 professionals and the rest in production. Every three months we spend half a day together in the countryside and, and we commun- communicate the strategy, the changes, what's happening and we ask questions. And now with technology you can, you can do a Zoom call with 600 people, no problem. Right? So globally, so communication is easy from in terms of, kind of uh, yeah. te- technology perspective. Yeah, so communication.
1: And for those starting out on the MA journey, the acquisition journey, Giovanni, any advice you can offer up? You know, what are the things that you tend to think about when we think good acquisitions and, and, you know, is it more values based now? I see a lot more companies that I'm sure, look, it's like you say, it's about moving into new markets. It's about innovation. But, you know, things like values, company values, is that something that people are thinking of more frequently? now
0: uh, yeah first of all i believe in acquisition that drive growth and uh premiumization i'm not a big fan of consolidating acquisitions like basically you take cost out and you become more profitable fine and everybody can do it it's very mechanistic it's not difficult you just have to be aggressive in terms of kind of people's side and then you get to the savings but it's a short short-term game then five years later you're not going anymore <laughs> it's over is really a sh- So I believe in growth, acquisition, and acquisition and lead to higher profits because you are differentiating products, innovation, for example. My advice would be there is a lot of intermediaries in the M&A industry, like bankers, advisors. That, they intermediate between the market knowledge and yourself. My advice, don't use them. Go directly to conferences, fairs, talk to scientists. Meet and meet owners all the time, develop your own network. And in a, in a way, this uh, this industry of uh, banking. And I'm not saying anything negative about banking, but if you really want to be successful in MA, you need to know very intimately your market, including the future trends. And this only exists in the mind of any entrepreneurs, because they are working on a new product, a new market idea, you talk to them, and then suddenly you have something you, you never find in any, in any publications or any paper or any research.
1: Well, it comes back to that knowledge authority, Giovanni, doesn't it? Know your market. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have to travel a lot, but if you like traveling, if, I used to go to five or six conferences every year. Yes, yeah, yeah. In Europe, in California, in Asia, and and I would, I would meet 40 to 50 owners or CEOs a year directly without any bankers or any advisor participate in this conversation.
1: Yeah, that's some good advice, Giovanni, really good advice. And how much can you talk to us about the ambition and the future for Eat Natural? Then, Giovanni, you know what can we expect over the, over the coming years from you guys?
0: Yeah, Eat Natural, it's a, it's a brand that developed in East London, with great products, great tasting products, and a wonderful brand name. So, with the, with the expertise and the capabilities of Ferreo, we can take this brand internationally and in multiple categories. Amazing thing about Ferrero is uh, this really ethical approach to ingredients and and product quality and the growth level. So we are not driven by short-term profits, we are driven by engaging more consumers and offering amazing products. So you, you will see a lot of innovation into the products from the ingredient side the natural side and uh, stretching this brand into new categories and new markets. It's gonna be
1: exciting to see and uh, we've talked about it previously. It's a fantastic brand. It's been around a lot longer than I think people often think privately owned. And yeah, I know the uh, future is an exciting one. So I, I, I wish you all the best with it, Giovanni. I look forward to watching the progress you guys make. Thank you. Thank you. Thank. Just finally, before I let you go, knowing what you know now, Giovanni, what would you tell your younger self in terms of career advice?
0: My young, If I were 20, I mean, if you've changed my career, you may know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> People can't see you, so, you know, they don't necessarily
0: know you're not 20, Giovanni. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> what I would do if I was, at, uh, okay. I would not study I would not study a business, okay? I would study maybe nutrition or something scientific. Mm. that is connected with uh, sustainability or the environment. Yeah. And from there and from there on then develop a career. Instead I study economics, which is kind of generic knowledge. Mm. And then I ended up finding this common theme which is business development M and A. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I would do the opposite. I would study nutrition yeah. in a good university. And then from there, I developed a career as an expert of a really specific topic that is relevant to current markets.
1: Really interesting. Yeah. But still combined with psychology, though, Giovanni, you mentioned that at the beginning. That's been really important for you in terms of working with people.
0: Yeah, I like global businesses. So if you don't like other cultures, you don't really appreciate them. It's not easy to make an impact. And it's enjoyable. Because we are fortunate uh, as executives to travel, to be exposed to other cultures. This is an amazing life we don't, sometimes we don't really appreciate.
1: I think well said. And hopefully the next couple of years, Giovanni, you'll be able to travel a lot more than you have done the last couple of years with with <laughs> yes, the pandemic uh, yes. fingers crossed well <laughs> yes. well thank you so much Giovanni for investing the time with me today it's been an absolute pleasure it always is a pleasure talking with you i know we're going to keep in touch and all the best for uh, for the future thank
0: you for inviting me i really enjoyed thanks giovanni you take care
1: thanks so much for listening i hope you found this episode valuable Don't forget to subscribe so you get notified about all future episodes. I'm working really hard to keep bringing you inspirational leaders from the food and drink industry that we can all learn from. And if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. It really helps spread the podcast far and wide. And finally, as you've probably noticed, my passion is to help businesses thrive through the power of people. Like the very best leaders of today, I understand how creating purpose-led cultures with high levels of trust and employee engagement leads to successful financial performance. Back in 2011, I founded Leader Executive to help companies outperform the market by focusing on the human element of their business, their people. As a well-respected talent solutions partner, we collaborate with food and drink businesses across our four business pillars, design, hire, develop, inspire. To find out more about how we can help you outperform your competition by focusing on the human element of your business, then reach out to me on john at leaderexecutivesearch.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Until next time on the Leader Insight Series podcast, take care.